The Free For All Roundtable. Round two. On the panel today, fresh in from the heat, Brad Bradford is here, city councilor, and you biked. Sweating bullets. Okay, I ain't bike. I'm not, you won't get me on a bike today. Uh, Richard Krause is host of the podcast, Last Call with Richard Krause, and uh, you were doing the trivia show on the weekend, weren't you, Richard? I was. I was there uh, Sunday morning. It's weird there. There's nobody in the building, yeah. uh, but it was kind of great. Great phone yeah. calls, great people, super fun. It's a tremendous show. So does he leave it as a turnkey operation, or did you, did you have to write your own questions? No, he's uh, Jason Agnew, the usual host of the show, writes everything for me, and I'm just a meat puppet. I sit there uh, and speak the questions <laughs> okay. and hope I don't get anything terribly wrong. Nobody's ever accused Sunira Chaudhary of being a meat puppet. Uh, employment <laughs> lawyer at Workley Law. And uh, you'll get to go first this morning because uh, we're talking about the housing minister having stepped aside yesterday, and perhaps even more intriguingly, the premier holding a press availability later on this morning. And here's hoping that this time he doesn't flip out. Yeah, John, you know, I think what was interesting about the timing of all of this was that when we saw the integrity commissioner's report come out a few days ago, we saw a lot of questions going to the premier and the premier saying, you know, the buck stops with me uh, over and over again, not yet calling for the resignation of, of his housing minister. And it almost seems like the premier wanted to see what the fallout was going to be and how large it was going to be, whether or not it was going to be a 24-hour news cycle or if their ordeal would continue. It certainly has, and it seemed to be getting uglier and uglier. So I think it's it's interesting that the, the housing minister waited until yesterday to actually announce his resignation. I, I was expecting it at around 5 o'clock on Friday afternoon, but hey, he got a couple of extra days as a cabinet minister. Brad Bradford, do you think there was ever any chance that he was going to survive this, or it was just a matter of choosing the timing that is least damaging to Doug Ford? I think certainly when the Integrity Commissioner report came out and the scathing details in that resignation was essential. Uh, and you know what? I'm glad he did it because it was the right thing to do. I'm curious about the press conference at 10 a.m. this morning, if we're going to see a, a policy or a position reversal, what that is going to look like, if it's just going to be answering all of the questions that, that folks out there are sitting on, or if we're going to see the government move in a different direction on the Greenbelt file, which has been particularly problematic. Although it's going to be uh, Richard Krause appointment tuning this morning, I think, because the Premier's fireworks last Thursday were, well, I shouldn't say hilarious, but they kind of were. Yeah, I mean, I think what we're seeing there is uh, Premier Ford under a huge amount of pressure. And we we know just from past experience with him that he gets a little testy sometimes when uh, things aren't going quite the way he wants them to go. So I think that kind of explains what happened between him and Colin DeMello last week. Interesting to see what happens today. We'll know in an hour or so. Uh, but I think uh, this resignation came uh, too late. I think that had this happened uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I think that it probably would have um, made people feel like at least something was being done, uh, that that this was being taken care of. I think now uh, it lasted too long. And I think that, frankly, we're uh, just at the very tip of what is a very big iceberg yet to come. And we're going to find out in the next uh, weeks that there's a lot more to this story. Although, Brad Bradford, it's 
it's almost like the way you would construct a symphony or build a layer cake. I mean, there are these stations of a cross to any scandal, and the first stop is always there's nothing here. Then you get to okay, they're not buying it. What's going to? Well, we can't resign. We won't resign. Well, we we now we we're resigning. I mean, you know, that's kind of the way these things happen. Yeah, and you know what, uh, Minister Clark, we work together at the city. There are a lot of outstanding housing files. Our official plan review we've been waiting on for more than a year from the provincial government that's been sitting on a desk. Uh, but they have made some big moves, and they've you know provided a shot clock and the timing on some of these housing applications. So I think generally out there, the public sentiment is this government is taking action on housing. I think they were hoping that that narrative was going to help them weather the storm. Uh, you know, opposition parties have been calling for you know, Minister Clark's resignation for several weeks. Probably the government didn't want to give into that. Uh, but again, the integrity commissioner made it mo- you know almost untenable. You had to you had to resign. It was the right thing to do, and hopefully, uh, you know, they're able to sort this file out, put some process in place that makes the public feel more comfortable because this has gone from an issue on the the side of people's desks and something that columnists were writing about to front and center in the mainstream and something that everybody is talking about. It needs to be resolved. Okay, listen, I want to pivot to a few other topics, and everybody gets their say during the nine to ten hour on what I jokingly earlier in the show said we could call your turn, but we'll get there and we'll take your calls on the other side. Right now, let's get to kids going back to school. And actually, off the top of all of this, can I ask you folks, um, Sunira, um, only uh, I think it's 153 of more than 400 TDSB schools have air conditioning. Have we honestly reached the point where air conditioning is as essential as like electricity itself? I think it's essential given the way our summers have been heating up, John. I mean, uh, one of my very, very good friends is an elementary school teacher in a in a school not in the TDSB, but uh, in, in, in York region, doesn't have, um, as I said, air conditioning. And by May, if you're in a portable, it can often be sweltering, even if it's 23 or 24 degrees outside. And so it's it's not, of course, it's not just hard on teachers, it's hard on on children. I think in looking at the heat wave we have this week, I mean, I think parents are going to be thinking twice about what they're sending their kids to school with. I mean, are we going to send our kids to school with packs of coolers and, and ice cubes so that they can weather the day in a in sort of a tin can portable? Well, Richard Krauss, this, of course, is where you and I, because we're of a similar age, crank up the um, the storytelling that always begins with, in my day, <laughs> but we didn't have any air conditioning. No, you had fans, uh, you had open windows, but, uh, you know, my memory tells me that it wasn't as hot consistently as it is now. And I will tell you that during this heat wave that we're about to have this week, and it already feels, I think, like it started out there, you'll be able to hang meat in my house. It will be so cold in here uh, with the air con <laughs> on, uh, that, uh, and I will only leave when necessary. Unfortunately, TIFF starts this week, so yeah. I'll be in and out of the house a fair amount. But uh, it uh, air conditioning to me is an absolute necessity these days. Okay, another aspect of back to school, there's an interesting study out today that says extracurricular activities are coming back post-COVID, but there's an imbalance to all of this. Brad Bradford, I'll start with you on this one. In lower income areas, you are less likely, for example, to have an art club or a music class in your school. So these kids are being doubly impoverished. Yeah, the extracurricular stuff is so important. I remember, you know, growing 
showing up in trips to the Science Center, actually coming in from Hamilton, uh, trips to the Fall Fair, uh, Art Club, all the sports teams. It is actually an essential component of your growth and development as a kid going through the school system. Uh, we call it extracurriculars, but I think it's core, and it should be part of the job uh, requirement. People should be uh, should be doing that. And you see the disparity with schools, and it often comes down to how involved the parent council is. You know, I remember yeah. a lot of that stuff was driven by parent council. So you think about some of the more socioeconomically privileged areas or affluent areas, those parents have the time to get involved because they're not working two or three jobs. So I think from an education perspective and from a system uh, system perspective, we have to think about how we can close that gap and make sure that there are resources to level the playing field when it comes to those extracurriculars because they're not just extra, they're core. Yeah, Richard, you acquire important skills, mm-hmm. you know, if you're in chess club, debate club, uh, cheerleading squad, whatever it is, and some of these kids aren't getting to do that. Yeah, I think it sort of diminishes them. I call them extracurricular. You know, as as Brian just said, this is something that I think is at the very heart of the experience of going to school. You get socialized by being in clubs. Uh, you know, if you have a drama club or uh, whatever it might be, um, you learn how to think a little differently. You you uh, get out there. You can uh, perform on stage and lose uh, inhibitions and any self consciousness that you might have. There's a lot of benefits to doing all this plus all the stem related clubs and all the sports related clubs i know that when i was in school uh the field trips that we used to do uh were uh mostly going into halifax a couple hundred miles away we'd see a play we'd see a a few things and it really opened my eyes to what else was out there in my narrow world view when i was a much younger guy and so i think that they are absolutely crucial uh and uh that the discrepancy between high income schools and low-income schools needs to be leveled somehow. It has always been thus, but I think it needs uh, a really closer look now after the pandemic when kids have simply just not been socialized in the way that they need to be. Okay, I want to talk about the uh, trial beginning today for two of the individuals involved in the convoy protests in Ottawa. I realize it's not your specialization in law, but you are a lawyer, Sunera. Um, do you see the potential for this to end up being a fairly wiggy affair? I don't know if it's going to be the Chicago 7, but I wonder if this is going to turn into a spectacle. I think it's definitely going to be a a spectacle, John, just because of the following that these uh, two organizers of the Freedom Convoy have been able to drum up over time. I know that one has written a book. There are, you know, talks that they're giving to to big groups of people. I think that hold on the public and their following remains. And I, I think there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on this trial. But I think what's interesting about the evidence is that this is going to be sort of a case of digital debris. It's it's. It's the the social media posts that probably many of these organizers and and those that were involved in the Freedom Convoy didn't think would see the light of day in a courtroom. And that is really going to be, I think, a a damning sort of set of evidence that's going to be undeniable with respect to what exactly went down, how this convoy was organized, whether or not criminal acts actually occurred. And, you know, it's, it's going to be very tough to to deny and to explain away what many you know reels on instagram and TikTok are going to show and going to play out over what we expect to be a 16-day trial and brad you know many people still think that that convoy protest was sort of a noble and valorous exercise so i guess you know in some respects they're going to try to frame this that these people are being punished for doing good 
Yeah, and you know that's not my view. I don't feel like these individuals are, are martyrs or anything here. But um, the, it, it was a controversial time, and I think there was a sentiment that the you know the lockdowns were excessively restrictive. But the continual flaunting of the rules, the continually putting it out there, uh, you know the the treason tone uh, to what was going on in an occupation of the public spaces that goes beyond free speech that goes beyond public protest I think that's what the discussion in the courtroom will be and it will be very interesting to watch how that's full uh, unfolds uh, in the courts folks thank you all very much good to have you on the round table today Sunira Chaudhry Brad Bradford and Richard Kraus catch the round table round one at 745 round two at 845 weekday mornings on more in the morning news talk 1010 Toronto